Section 14 of Junior Classics, Volume 5, Stories That Never Grow Old. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Junior Classics, Volume 5, Stories That Never Grow Old, edited by William Patton. Section 14, The Sixth Voyage. I know, my friends, that you will wish to hear how, after having been shipwrecked five times and escaped so many dangers, I could resolve again to tempt fortune and expose myself to new hardships. I am myself astonished at my conduct when I reflect upon it, and must certainly have been actuated by my destiny, from which none can escape. Be that as it may, after a year's rest I prepared for a sixth voyage, notwithstanding the entreaties of my kindred and friends, who did all in their power to dissuade me. Instead of taking my way by the Persian Gulf, I travelled once more through several provinces of Persia and the Indies, and arrived at a seaport where I embarked in a ship, the captain of which was bound on a long voyage, in which he and the pilot lost their course. Suddenly we saw the captain quit his rudder, uttering loud lamentations. He threw off his turban, pulled his beard, and beat his head like a madman. We asked him the reason, and he answered that we were in the most dangerous place in all the ocean. A rapid current carries the ship along with it, and we shall all perish in less than a quarter of an hour. Pray to God to deliver us from this peril. We cannot escape if he does not take pity on us. At these words he ordered the sails to be lowered, but all the ropes broke, and the ship was carried by the current to the foot of an inaccessible mountain where she struck and went to pieces, yet in such a manner that we saved our lives, our provisions, and the best of our goods. The mountain, at the foot of which we were, was covered with wrecks, with a vast number of human bones, and with an incredible quantity of goods and riches of all kinds. These objects served only to augment our despair. In all other places it is usual for rivers to run from their channels into the sea. But here a river of fresh water runs from the sea into a dark cavern, whose entrance is very high and spacious. What is most remarkable in this place is that the stones of the mountain are of crystal, rubies, or other precious stones. Here is also a sort of fountain of pitch, or bitumen, that runs into the sea, which the fish swallow, and evacuate soon afterward, turn into ambergris, and this the waves throw up on the beach in great quantities. Trees also grow here, most of which are of wood of aloes, equal in goodness to those of Kamari. To finish the description of this place, it is not possible for ships to get off when once they approach within a certain distance. If they be driven thither by a wind from the sea, the wind and the current impel them, and if they come into it when the land wind blows, which might seem to favor their getting out again, the height of the mountain stops the wind and occasions a calm, so that the force of the current carries them ashore, and what completes the misfortune is that there is no possibility of ascending the mountain or of escaping by sea. We continued upon the shore, at the foot of the mountain, in a state of despair, and expected death every day. 
on our first landing we had divided our provisions as equally as we could and thus every one lived a longer or shorter time according to his temperance and the use he made of his provisions i survived all my companions and when i buried the last i had so little provisions remaining that i thought i could not long survive and i dug a grave resolving to lie down in it because there was no one left to pay me the last offices of respect but it pleased god once more to take compassion on me and put it in my mind to go to the bank of the river which ran into the great cavern considering its probable course with great attention i said to myself this river which runs thus underground must somewhere have an issue if i make a raft and leave myself to the current it will convey me to some inhabited country or i shall perish if i be drowned i lose nothing but only change one kind of death for another i immediately went to work upon large pieces of timber and cables for i had a choice of them from the wrecks and tied them together so strongly that i soon made a very solid raft when i had finished i loaded it with some chests of rubies emeralds and ambergris rock crystal and bales of rich stuffs having balanced my cargo exactly and fastened it well to the raft i went on board with two oars that i had made and leaving it to the course of the river resigned myself to the will of god as soon as i entered the cavern i lost all light and the stream carried me i knew not whither thus i floated on in perfect darkness and once found the arch so low that it very nearly touched my head which made me cautious afterward to avoid the like danger all this while i ate nothing but what was just necessary to support nature yet notwithstanding my frugality all my provisions were spent then i became insensible i cannot tell how long i continued so but when i revived i was surprised to find myself in an extensive plain on the brink of a river where my raft was tied among a great number of negroes i got up as soon as i saw them and saluted them they spoke to me but i did not understand their language i was so transported with joy that i knew not whether i was asleep or awake but being persuaded that i was not asleep i recited the following words in arabic aloud call upon the almighty he will help thee thou needest not perplex thyself about anything else shut thy eyes and while thou art asleep god will change thy bad fortune into good one of the negroes who understood arabic hearing me speak thus came toward me and said brother be not surprised to see us we are inhabitants of this country and water our fields from this river which comes out of the neighboring mountain we saw your raft and one of us swam into the river and brought it hither where we fastened it as you see until you should awake pray tell us your history whence did you come i begged of them first to give me something to eat and then i would satisfy their curiosity they gave me several sorts of food and when i had satisfied my hunger i related all that had befallen me which they listened to with attentive surprise as soon as i had finished they told me by the person who spoke arabic and interpreted to them what i had said that i must go along with them and tell my story to their king myself it being too extraordinary to be related by any other than the person to whom the events had happened 
they immediately sent for a horse and having helped me to mount some of them walked before me to show the way while the rest took my raft and cargo and followed we marched until we came to the capital of serendib for it was in that island i had landed the negroes presented me to their king i approached his throne and saluted him as i used to do the kings of the indies and that is to say i prostrated myself at his feet the prince ordered me to rise received me with an obliging air and made me sit down near him i concealed nothing from the king but related to him all that i have told you at last my raft was brought in and the bales opened in his presence and he admired the quantity of wood of aloes and the ambergris but above all the rubies and emeralds for he had none in his treasury that equaled them observing that he looked on my jewels with pleasure and viewed the most remarkable among them one after another i fell prostrate at his feet and took the liberty to say to him sire not only my person is at your majesty's service but the cargo of the raft and i would beg of you to dispose of it as your own he answered me with a smile sinbad i will take nothing of yours far from lessening your wealth i design to augment it and will not let you quit my dominions without marks of my liberality he then charged one of his officers to take care of me and ordered people to serve me at his own expense the officer was very faithful in the execution of his commission and caused all the goods to be carried to the lodgings provided for me i went every day at a set hour to make my court to the king and spent the rest of my time in viewing the city and what was most worthy of notice the capital of serendib stands at the end of a fine valley in the middle of the island encompassed by high mountains they are seen three days sail off at sea rubies and several sorts of minerals abound all kinds of rare plants and trees grow there especially cedars and coconut there is also a pearl fishery in the mouth of its principal river and in some of its valleys are found diamonds i made by way of devotion a pilgrimage to the place where adam was confined after his banishment from paradise and had the curiosity to go to the top of the mountain when i returned to the city i prayed the king to allow me to return to my own country and he granted me permission in the most obliging and honorable manner he would force a rich present upon me and at the same time charged me with a letter for the commander of the faithful our sovereign saying to me i pray you give this present from me and this letter to the caliph harun al-rashid and assure him of my friendship the letter from the king of serendib was written on the skin of a certain animal of great value very scarce and of a yellowish color the characters of this letter were of azure and the contents as follows the king of the indies before whom march one hundred elephants who lives in a palace that shines with one hundred thousand rubies and who has in his treasury twenty thousand crowns enriched with diamonds to caliph harun al-rashid though the present we send you be inconsiderable receive it however as a brother and a friend in consideration of the hearty friendship which we bear for you and of which we are willing to give you proof we desire the same part in your friendship considering that we believe it to be our merit as we are both kings 
we send you this letter as from one brother to another. Farewell. The present consisted first of one single ruby made into a cup about a half a foot high, an inch thick, and filled with round pearls of half a drum each. Two, the skin of a serpent whose scales were as bright as an ordinary piece of gold and had the virtue to preserve from sickness those who lay upon it. Three, fifty thousand drums of the best wood of aloes with thirty grains of camphire as big as pistachios. And four, a female slave of great beauty whose robe was covered over with jewels. The ship set sail, and after a very successful navigation, we landed at Bessora, and from thence I went to the city of Baghdad, where the first thing I did was to acquit myself of my commission. I took the king of Serendib's letter, and went to present myself at the gate of the commander of the faithful, and was immediately conducted to the throne of the caliph. I made my obeisance, and presented the letter and gift. When he had read what the king of Serendib wrote to him, he asked me if that prince were really so rich and potent as he represented himself in his letter. I prostrated myself a second time, and rising again said, Commander of the faithful, I can assure your majesty he doth not exceed the truth. I bear him witness. Nothing is more worthy of admiration than the magnificence of his palace. When the prince appears in public, he has a throne fixed on the back of an elephant, and rides between two ranks of his ministers, favorites, and other people of his court. Before him, on the same elephant, an officer carries a golden lance in his hand, and behind him there is another, who stands with a rod of gold, on the top of which is an emerald half a foot long and an inch thick he is attended by a guard of one thousand men clad in cloth of gold and silk and mounted on elephants richly caparisoned the officer who is before him on the same elephant cries from time to time with a loud voice behold the great monarch the potent and redoubtable sultan of the indies the monarch greater than solomon and the powerful maharaja after he has pronounced those words, the officer behind the throne cries in his turn, This monarch, so great and so powerful, must die, must die, must die. And the officer before replies, Praise alone be to him who liveth for ever and ever. The caliph was much pleased with my account, and sent me home with a rich present. Here Sinbad commanded another hundred sequins to be paid to Hindbad, and begged his return on the morrow to hear his seventh and last voyage. End of section 14